Well, uh, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Doing great. It's, uh, it's good to be down in the south. I, I live in Manchester, so uh, it's good to see how the other half lives. I uh, just want to reassure you, I'm not here to steal anything from you. Uh, but it's great to be here. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. And uh, I want to say that uh, it's been a, priv it's a privilege of mine to come and, and to share with the family of God. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Vineyard. I've, you know, friends at the national leadership team. And, uh, you know, I love the way that you do church, you know, with donuts, coffee, uh, the rest of the church misses out. They haven't figured out that it's actually just to get a sugar rush right in the middle of church. Just makes everyone happy during the preach. You have to do it within 30 minutes because then you get the sugar crash and then everyone's sad. But that's great because then they'll respond. Um, so you've timed it absolutely perfect that people during the bit are like, yeah, that's so good. 30 minutes later, ah, oh, the world, I need God. And uh, just revival happens because of that, um, particularly if you get sugared uh, donuts as well with uh, custard in. Should we just think on that for a moment? Let's say, La, thank you, God, I do declare. Uh, so it's great to be here. Um, and uh, I just want to say, um, you know, I love the fact that you as a church are so in the community. And um, I just want to say, I really want to underline that that comes through the heartbeat of the leadership here. And, and I want to say thank you for serving the poor, not just in words, but in deeds, you know, and being out there in the community. It's not easy uh, to live what we preach, is it? You know, I, I, one of my favorite leadership quotes is, the lesson you may deliver may be wise and true, but I'd prefer to learn my lessons from observing what you do. And that's the greatest challenge as a person on a platform is to not just be a great communicator, but to let our lives be the message. And uh, I want to say just to honor you as leaders for your relentless spirit of being here for many years. It's those that choose not to give up are the people that need celebrating. And I want to say thank you so much for all the lives that you've changed, the people that you've sent out from here, and the people that you have developed, and the friends that are lost, and the seeds that have been sown. I want to say that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Can we just honor your leaders for... Thank you. I mean it. Uh, so, um, uh, my name's Ben Cooley, uh, and I grew up in the northeast of England. Uh, just to give some backstory, I moved to Manchester to train to be an opera singer. Uh, I, yep, I used to wear tights and makeup and dance around. And I used to do that in operas as well. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I married a, a girl called Debbie, who was an actress. Um, she was on TV on highbrow British dramas called Hollyoaks. And um, uh, you won't watch that because you're all educated people. And, um, uh, and uh, we've got two children, Isabel and Lily, um, and now 13 and 11, I don't feel old enough to have a 13-year-old. She's coming to me with issues and problems with her educational system, and I'm like, I don't know, ask your dad. Oh, I am your dad. Um, ask your granddad. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I, I lead an organization uh, called uh, Hope for Justice. It started um, when, uh, 10 years ago, actually, I attended an event in Manchester Town Hall. I was a worship leader in the church uh, that I went to, and 
uh, went and heard about this issue called modern slavery and heard about 27 million people caught in slavery, 1.2 million children a year sold, two children every minute. I walked out of that building that night and I thought if that was my daughter, I would do something. And it was the next thought that changed the course of my life. They are someone's daughter, I should do something. So I did what any young, passionate 26-year-old would do. I booked the uh, NEC Arena in Birmingham to tell the church about it, and we got 5,884 people to our first event. And since then, uh, we've launched into nine countries, uh, 23 locations. And uh, I've just got a little video just to show you a little bit of what I do, and, uh, and then uh, I'll be speaking out of, funny enough, 1 Kings 19. Straight up, no lie. Watch the screen. Thanks. When people first hear about modern slavery and the millions caught up in it, often they're overwhelmed by the statistics. They're heartbroken by the brutality and the violence of modern slavery. And they literally don't know what to do about fellow human beings being exploited for profit. One of the survivors that we worked with a few years ago said to me, Ben, I didn't need someone to cry about this issue. I needed someone to do something about it. That's what we've built here in Hope for Justice, a thought through professional response to the issue of modern day slavery. Hope for Justice has a home and abroad strategy. Wherever modern slavery exists, we are committed to stamping it out. The best way to do that is to prevent it from happening in the first place. That's why we work with women in some of the poorest parts of the world, giving them the tools and education they need to protect their families. Our staff work with street children who are so vulnerable to predatory traffickers. We give these children the support and schooling that they need and get them back safely to their families. We rescue victims. Our specialist teams identify victims of sex trafficking, of forced labor, and domestic servitude. We build bridges of trust and get them to safety. But rescue isn't an event, it's a process. It's where restoring lives begins. At our aftercare facilities, where highly trained staff provide trauma-informed care from immediate crisis intervention to long-term education and vocational learning. For our adult survivors, we advocate on their behalf to get them the support that they need to make the most of the new opportunities that freedom brings. The goal is always restoration and reintegration. Abolishing slavery for good depends on reforming society. We are working with businesses, with governments, with the public, raising awareness, improving legislation, training thousands to spot the signs and to respond. Creating nations and societies hostile to modern slavery where it will no longer be tolerated. Our team are changing lives and ending slavery. Investigators drawn from prestigious law enforcement agencies like the FBI and Greater Manchester Police. Lawyers and social workers with years of experience who are with the survivor for every step of the journey towards restoration. Educators who specialize in trauma-informed care outreach workers who engage directly with those who are the hardest to reach, training teams who share our expertise with other professionals, self-help group leaders who go out into their own communities to make a real difference. All of them share one aim, because Hope for Justice is part of a movement of people 
who refuse to live in a world where human beings are treated as commodities and sold in front of their own eyes. We refuse to live in a world where the bodies of men, women and children are used for profit, forced to work, made to cook and clean as domestic slaves or pushed into the sex trade. We're creating a world where children are free to be educated, run and play. Parents can provide for their families, that businesses are upstanding in society, that governments protect the poor. When we decide enough is enough, things change. I believe in the power of when we use our voice for things that matter. I believe it echoes out into the darkest places of our communities. I believe it because I've seen it. I've seen the goodness of humanity. I've seen the end of slavery. I saw it in the first girl that we rescued. In my mind, we already live in a world free from slavery. Just history, hasn't caught up yet. So uh, I, I love the fact that we are in the slipstream of God's kingdom, right? Where it says in Psalm 72, for he will deliver the needy and those that are trapped in violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. And you know, thanks to God, and, and I believe the local church coming alongside that and in his slipstream, we've been able just in the last 11 months reach 63,000 children. In the last uh, six months, we've reintegrated safely nearly 500 children safely back to their moms and dads. In the UK, we've now in the last few years rescued over 750 individuals that have been caught up in modern slavery. Youngest being three months old, oldest being 61 years old now, I believe. We've rescued people from sex trafficking, forced labor, domestic servitude. In fact, one of the people in London that we helped, you might have seen on the news, uh, phoned our office, saw me on, uh, on BBC News, and uh, rang our office and said, I don't know if I can trust the police or not, but maybe we can trust Hope for Justice. I can trust Hope for Justice. Uh, I need help. And Within 24 hours, we were able to help that individual out of slavery here in, in London, not too far from here. That man was held in slavery for 24 years, had never left the property. But there's always hope, isn't there? I believe in a God of hope. I believe in a God of justice. In fact, in Psalm 9, it says, for the Lord is known by his justice. And I, I love the fact that we serve a God that didn't just stay in heaven, but in Philippians 2, it says that he came down to earth. And uh, I love that. I love, the, I love Jesus. I'm a local church boy. I, I just think uh, the hope of the world lies right here. When we join and partner with God, we can see miracles like never before. So if you've got the Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 Kings 19, how strange is that that you read it out? I thought, gosh, he's going to bring something more profound than I will. And then comparison slipped in, and then that's a thief of all joy, and I got all sad, and then I had a donut. <laughs> and life got well again. It's amazing, isn't it? So I, I, uh, I, I don't know where I, I find you today, um, but I hope this word can encourage you. 1 Kings 19 uh, it, it actually is, um, uh, 1 Kings 19 is after something called 1 Kings 18. Um, 
I can do math, right? How amazing is that? And uh, in 1 Kings 18, just to give some context, there's Elijah, who's one of the prophets, uh, one of the only prophets left, actually. And uh, Elijah um, gets challenged by the prophets of Baal and this whole hustle of, like, who's the real God? Um, Now, I know that you get that all the time in your life as well, where you get challenged on the authenticity of your faith and what you're you're doing with your life. I don't know if your friends say this, but, you know, why do you keep on going to church on Sunday? Why do you keep on playing the keys? Why do you get involved in church? Why do you get on the rotor? Why do you keep on reaching those people? Your God, why do you keep on serving God? I don't know if you get asked that about what you believe in your workplace, in your family, you know, whether people challenge your view on humanity or the world or your, your faith, you know. I don't know if you get that, but here's Elijah, and he gets challenged by the prophets of Baal. And, you know, they say, your God isn't the real God. He's, he says, your God isn't the real God. And they go to a challenge like we all do. You know, it's my go-to challenge as well, where when people say, your God isn't the real God, I say, well, let's get the sticks out. And let's see whose God sets the sticks on fire. I mean, you do it, I do it. It's my go-to in the playground. I used to do it all the time to my friends at school. was just literally, let's get the sticks out and set the sticks on fire. And uh, do it bare grill style, you know. So, you know, here they are. You know, they get the sticks out. The prophets of Baal are dancing around their sticks. And they are like going, come on, do it. And, uh, you know, and... Do it now, and and nothing happens. And you you know, in Elijah, it talks about how Elijah was um, dignified in this response. False, he was not dignified. He mocked them, uh, and he was ridiculing them. And then, then what happened was, then Elijah was so confident in in God that he decided to pour water over the sticks several times because he was so confident. The Bible says, don't throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. And he had his confidence in Yahweh, in Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. And so he poured the water over and he, he asked God, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, this day let it be known that thou art God. And suddenly like the fire of God came down and the sticks sat on fire. There was probably a little bit of steam. And, uh, and the sticks that were burning and it was like wow this is awesome can you imagine it like because we read it and we go oh yeah yeah of course the sticks set on fire but like if I did it right now I mean number one you'd be running out number two the school would boot you out permanently (laughs) number three like then some of you might run back in and start like Instagramming live or Facebook live in and like, it would be an awesome thing. I don't know if ever God has ever came through for you. But that moment was, must have been like a, an awesome moment for Elijah, where that miracle of God happened. And then what happens is that Elijah then kills all the prophets with the sword. I'm, I'm going to let Neil just deal with that, of why Elijah, he's going to do a whole 10-part series on why he saw the mighty miracle of God and then killed them all. It's going to be a great series. Lean in, guys. You're learning about Holy Spirit tonight, killing the prophets next week, 10-part series. Remember, note-takers are history makers, all right? So I want to be seeing you taking notes. You can even hashtag Ben Cooley in them. I will read them because I am fascinated to lean in as well.
That's right. <laughs> Prophets and visiting speakers. I just want that to come out on the microphone there. And for all the world to hear, I've just had my first death threat um, on a microphone just in the middle of the church. Okay? It got real just then. <laughs> so here we... I'll hurry up then. <laughs> So here we are, and, you know, they've, they've seen a mighty miracle. I don't know if you've ever seen a mighty miracle. I don't know if you've seen one of your family members being healed or a family a situation that you thought would never turn around, and it did, or your finances or something in work that you just thought, that, that's a miracle. Elijah saw that. And then we get on to 1 Kings 19. And Ahab, who was with the prophets of Baal, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. And when he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He isolated himself. He went on alone. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Some translations say, it is enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the broom bush and he fell asleep. Here's this man that's just seen the fire of God come down. And then one woman speaks one word of death over him and he runs away, scared, leaves himself isolated, sat under a tree and he says, I'm done. I'm checked out. I can't handle this anymore. I don't know if you, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're in a place where you're at the mountaintop and you've seen that miracle or whether you're saying to God, this is your last chance. I can't carry this anymore. What you're trying to do for me, I can't do this anymore. You know, I trained as an opera singer and I used to sing this moment in, in Mendelssohn's Elijah. You, you probably don't want me to sing it right now, do you? You, you, you don't. You, you did. If we were in a Pentecostal church right now, they'd be standing up saying, good preaching, pastor. <laughs> All right, go on, I'll do it. <laughs> it is enough. Oh, Lord, now take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. There you go. Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said, you know, I'm done. I'm checking out. What you're asking me to do, I can't carry it, can't do it, can't complete it. I'm done. I'm sat under that tree and I'm saying, take my life. I'm checking out. Well, I hope this message has, a, has something for you today. We're all on a journey, right? I don't know where your journey is leading you. I, I don't know what you want to do with your life. You know, the Bible says that where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. My, my belief is where there is vision, people flourish. I don't know what your vision is 
for your life. I'll tell you what my vision is. Where I want to get to by the end of my life is I, I, I want to live in a world free from slavery. You see, I, I don't want to live where, where children are exploited and forced to work against their will. I, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where men are, who wanted to provide for their families are forced into factories, back-breaking, grueling hours, and forced to do unspeakable things under the threat of violence. I, I, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where women are forced into prostitution and they are dribbled over, drooled over by men and forced to do things that should never be done. No, I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world where children are, f- are free to play and they are educated and they are told that they are a great and glorious message to the future. I want to live in a world where men can provide for their families and be upstanding citizens and leaders. And I want to live in a world where women are told that they are precious and they can be all that God has designed them to be, great and glorious leaders of humanity. I want to live in a world free from slavery. I don't, know where, I don't know where you want to get to. I don't know what you're working towards, but we all have a journey to get to. Every destination has a journey. A few years ago, me and my friends, we were wanting to fund our second office, or our second church kind of plant, our Hope for Justice plant, as it were, our third office here in the UK. And at that point in time, we used to call our offices after people that we'd rescued. The first office that we sent out to Bradford was, was Emma's hub after Emma, the girl that we rescued, the first girl that we ever rescued. And so we were sending out another one to Birmingham and we were working down south and just working up the courage to get to you guys. And we were launching up and we were going to call it Zoe after one of the girls that we rescued who was trafficked from Latvia to Southampton. And a few of us, some of them were on, at that point in time, on, uh, on TV shows, on um, like uh, Emmerdale and such things. And we were getting around and we were talking like, how do we fundraise? How do we do it? How do we raise 270,000 pounds? How do we do it? And, you know, some of us were coming up with ideas. One person said, we should, you know, we should do a marathon. I was like, No. Because <laughs> we know, I, I'm sure I read it in the Bible, that running... It's from the devil. Um, something like that. That's what Jonah tried to do. He ended up in a whale. I'm just saying I'm not going to do that to God. And then, then like, I, I think some, someone said we should do a cake sale. I think that was me. And like, Because I can eat Victoria sponge like a champ, right? Uh, you know, and... and, and I, I, someone said, I don't think we can raise 270,000 pounds from a cake sale. It's like shame, but it's a good idea. And then someone said, we should cycle. I was like, that's actually a really good idea. I, can, I think I can cycle. I used to do it when I was a 12-year-old kid. And like someone said, well, we should cycle from Land's End to John O'Groke's. And I was like, everyone does that. Everyone does Land's End to John O'Groke's. It's not very unique to us. And we were just thrashing it around. And then someone said, do you know what? We should do Zoe's journey. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, we should travel. We, could, we, should, we should cycle from Latvia to Southampton. That is an awesome idea, right? And we were like all excited. And I was like, yes, I've had such a great idea. Let's cycle from Latvia to Southampton. You know, at that point in time in my life, I thought Latvia was next to France. <laughs> False. It is not next to France. It's next to Russia. But like all good leaders... 
We'd already tweeted it out, Instagrammed it. It already got traction. And it got, it got such traction because of the people that were cycling with us that actually we ended up being on national news and, and national TV on Daybreak, on Loose Women, on like other stuff, right stuff and all that sort of stuff. They were interviewing all the celebrities. And I remember being on one of those shows with the guys and I was the nobody. And all the others were getting asked about their careers. And then I got the one question. This is the one question I got. Say, Ben Cooley, you are the CEO of the charity that they are cycling for. I'm like, yes, 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 ma'am, it's true. She said, so, you know, you are cycling more miles than the Tour de France. How does that make you feel? I'm what? <laughs> You're cycling, no, I heard you, more miles than the Tour de France in less days. I feel sick. Absolutely sick. What am I doing? And, uh, and so we ended up getting sponsored, given bikes that were like 12,000 pound bikes. We got given like Lycra. Now, some of you in here right now, I just want to speak to you. You are middle-aged men in Lycra. Your wives have invited me to come and speak right now to say no. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. Lycra doesn't. It exposes it. Okay? It's wrong and it's nasty. It's also from the devil. Anyway, we, we got sponsored. It was amazing. And uh, so we ended up getting over to, to Latvia on a plane. And we set off. And uh, a group of us started this journey to raise money to start this new project. And we were all excited. We got to... Latvia in a day, I was thinking, got through a whole country in a day. Check these legs out. And then we went through Lithuania, and then we got to Poland. And I don't know if you've ever Googled Poland, but Poland is massive. It's absolutely huge. I remember cycling Poland going, I don't want to do this anymore. I am bored. I am bored of cycling. I'm totally bored, and I look there, just about to give up, and I look down, and I see this wild wolf running next to me, dribbling. Suddenly, I found my motivation again. I liked cycling. <laughs> Cracking on. And then we got through Poland and got to Germany, and Germany was in the middle of our journey, and everything changed in Germany. The weather changed, the terrain changed, everything changed in Germany. I want to say to you that the danger of any vision is never really at the beginning. Because you're so excited about what's happening. You're so enthralled with what God has given you or what you've, this new idea that you've had, the frustration which led to, led to intention, which then led to innovation. And, and you were like, yeah, this is a great idea. I think I've come up with something. The danger of any vision is never at the end because you're like, I'm nearly there. I'm in Southampton. We're going to make it. The danger of any vision is always in the middle. It's when the tiredness sets in. It's when you feel like, did God really say? And here we are in Germany, right in the middle of the, the journey. And I remember going around this corner, and uh, uh, we were cycling. The weather changed. It got cold and raining. We went around this corner, and I could see what I could only describe as a mountain. And this mountain was over 6,000 foot high. Just so you know, Everest is 27,000 foot. So I was looking at it. We stopped for lunch at the bottom of the mountain. And I said to the guy who was in charge of the route, I said, hey, buddy, how you doing? What's happening? 
you know, we'll be going around the mountain. When she comes, we'll be going around the He said, no, we're going over it. Oh, cool. At that point in time, the media crew came up to me and pointed a camera in my face and said, Ben, tell us what's on your heart. I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't want to know what's on my heart. It's nasty thoughts. They said, go on, Ben, tell us. And they pointed a camera in my face, the camera, the mountain. Camera. Tell us what's on your heart. The only thing I could do, Chuck. Faith can move a mountain. <laughs> Let the mountains move. <laughs> Darn it. I'll try it with a darling check move. If faith can move a mountain. You know, I learned something in that moment, church. God doesn't always move the mountains. Sometimes he defines you by them. There are many troubles and problems in your life that you're saying, God, would you move this problem? But maybe God wants you to realize that you are stronger than you think you are. You know, I, I, I love the, the power of thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. There's something about your thinking that affects your attitude, and your attitude determines the course of your life. So many times in my life, I've looked at a mountain and said, I'll never conquer it, I'll never conquer it, I'll never conquer it. But maybe if we rehearsed his thoughts, because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. Maybe if we started to rehearse, to reinforce his thoughts for our life, maybe we would do extraordinary things, that we would see mountains conquered. You know, I love the, 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 the thinking of David, because David spent his time in the, with the, as a shepherd dwelling on the thoughts of the Most High. How I know that is because you can see through the Psalms the littered thinking that he had about God and how he amplified God all the time in his thinking. So it came to a moment where everyone else saw that mountain and everyone else saw exactly the facts. They saw how big Goliath was. They saw how undefeated. All the facts that they were seeing were facts. But David had a different response. David wasn't even invited, was he? I love the fact that it was told that he was there to bring cheese. Hello, David. Have you got any Wensleydale? <laughs> Sorry, I'm out of Wensleydale. I've only got Gorgonzola. Because I'm Mr. Zippy. <laughs> Not even invited. Yeah, he saw everything that everyone else saw, but he thought differently. And he said these words, when everyone said it's, it's impossible, he looked at that and he said, well, who is this Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. I love that. Oh, for a generation of people that sees problems differently. When people see the issue of modern day slavery, you'll never end it. The amount of people that say to me, you'll never end it, you'll never end it. I love to tell them, you don't know my God. You don't know my Jesus. When they said that he, he, when he died and he was in that tomb and when the tomb rolled away, it, it set a different paradigm in our world because death was defeated. The ultimate impossible was defeated. 
We worship and we honor a God today that isn't a small God, an ankle-high God or a knee-high God. We don't worship a waist-high God. My Bible says that we worship the most high God. That when he speaks, things are created. You are stronger than you think you are. You are more able than you think you are. He that is within you is far greater than he that is in the world. If you are sat under that tree today, start with your thinking. Start rehearsing, not the thoughts that other people have said over your life. Not the thoughts that that teacher said. You'll never amount to something. Start rehearsing God's thoughts over your life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I was, uh, a few days later, I was still in Germany. Turns out Germany is really big. <laughs> and we were climbing another mountain, and I was just about to give up. The pain was so bad. My legs were burning. My back was killing me. And I was like, I, I, can't, I can't cope with it. You know that burn that you just, you just need to stop. And I was there, and I felt this many times, the weight, the responsibility of leading Hope for Justice, the children that are in dire situations. And I was going up this mountain, it was like this, and I was just about to stop cycling. I was just about to. And I was reminded of, of Numbers 11. You know Numbers 11 where Moses, God asks Moses to do something for him. And it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back and, and he turns to God, Moses says, you know what, I can't do it anymore. Like, did I give birth to them? Am I their mother? Like, I, I can't carry them all, all the time. I can't do this. And then God says, I'm okay, I get it. Get 70 of the leaders that are known to you. Bring them to me, and I'll, I'll take some of the same spirit that is on you, and I'll put it on them, and they'll help you carry the load. I was just about to stop cycling on this mountain, and I felt this hand on my sh shoulder, and it was my mate Gav. And I felt this hand on my other shoulder as my mate Jim. And they were pushing me up the mountain one-handed. Yeah, I learned something in that moment, church. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. That's the beautiful thing about church, isn't it? That we aren't meant to be alone. It says in Hebrews, do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, when you're facing that challenge, when you're looking at that mountain, the worst thing that you can do is what Elijah did was he left his servant there and went into the wilderness on his own, sat under a tree. The worst thing that you can do when you are facing your trials and tribulations, as we all do, because in Psalm 34 verse 19, it says, as many are the troubles of the righteous. So just because we believe in God, it doesn't mean that we are exempt for trouble. The worst thing that you can do is isolate yourself through them. And you know, our generation is teaching us to isolate ourselves. Just in the way that we use our social media, if we're not careful, we can look at our friends and we can see that their dinner is better than our dinner. Their holiday is better than our holiday. Their church is better than our church. And suddenly it drives in something called competition. And we know that competition and comparison is the thief of all joy. You know, in my world, with human trafficking, there are many organizations. And I hate the fact that they see us as competitors. I'm not a competitor. I'm not. We're in the same mission. 
How, how are we competitors? Are we not just team members? Are we not just different expressions of the same vision? It's the same that goes for churches. Suddenly we start seeing each other as competitors. And we start going, oh, well, that church is this and that church is that. And suddenly a house divided. We cannot stand. But if you want to go through and beat and conquer, you have to learn to do it together. We have to learn to do it together, preferring one another, putting like Jim and Gav, hands on shoulders so that we can get through it. Some mountains aren't meant to be climbed alone. They're meant to be climbed with others. Two days later, I was still in Germany. <laughs> if I can get the keyboard player, this, this, this guy would be great. If this, is this you? Is this you? Could you come here? It's just, I, I've read in the Bible somewhere, you can't land a message now without a keyboard player. I don't know if it's true. I just don't want to get it wrong, you know? Is that appropriate, Neil? Is it, I know, I know when I, was at the, um, when I was at the National Leadership Conference, John came up to me and he said, Ben, you've just broken all the vineyard rules. <laughs> and like, John Wimber is turning right now. It's like, might be true, but I love you. You can play, it's fine, don't worry. <laughs> just make it a little bit like, sad, happy, it's just because I know they're in a sugar rush moment right now, so. Paddy, Paddy though, not, 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 not thingy. You're doing great, how you doing? You know, you know, good day? Yeah, great, thanks, appreciate it. So a few days later, I was still in, um, now, now it's a little bit too intense. We could just get it down, just a little bit. It's fun that we mock our traditions, isn't it? I mean it though. That's right, a little bit higher. <laughs> Church is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. So a few days later, I was still in Germany and I got to a point where I was being sick eight, nine times a day. Couldn't keep food down, I was hallucinating. I was seeing Teletubbies everywhere. And Octonauts. I got to a point where I was ready. I was sat under that tree and I was like, that's it, God. I'm giving up. It's only one time in the history of Hope for Justice that I've done this. And it was actually when I got a phone call to my office. You have to forgive me because I got emotional about this. And it was from a man that does the very things that we stand against. And he said, um, Ben's kids go to a great school, don't they? And uh, he proceeded in outworking his threat towards my children's life. And I, um, I had to make a phone call that day that I never wanted to make to my wife to say, we're gonna have to move out of our house. We're gonna have to move to a different part of the country. And we did, and my wife had gotten the kids out of school, and, and our team, we were only 10 then, in, 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 uh, and I was saying to God, I was like, God, where are you? Like, 
I get that I've spoken about this issue, but I never thought that it would come to my door, you know? I never thought that it would affect my, my personal life, you know? And I, I, uh, I was in this, I was in this state of asking God, God, speak to me, God, speak to me, God, speak to me. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And days went by. I just say, if you're going through that problem right now of God's not speaking to you, welcome to the team. Sometimes I don't hear him. Sometimes I wish that he would be a more vocal presence in my life. But you know, it's something that uh, one of the Arias, and it's quoted in Elijah, says, if with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall surely find me. God, where are you? I felt God ask me a question. He says, who do you think you are? I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know who I am. And I felt God remind me of scripture after scripture that I am a son, a co-heir in the kingdom of heaven, that I am part of a kingdom that will never be shaken, that I represent the name that is above every name. Suddenly these scriptures started coming back to me, flooding back to me like they were stored in the deepest parts of my soul and they started singing out like a new song. That I represented the author and perfecter. I represented the alpha and the omega. That this mere threat that Jezebel spoke over Elijah's life, this mere threat that was spoken over my life was only a blip in the story of Ben Kulin. Because I was being authored into, grafted into the great and glorious story of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the Perfector, the Warrior. I went back to the team and they were fully anticipating me saying, we're going to shut, we're going to close. But I didn't. I used my words just like God used his words right at the beginning. Not for communication, but for creation. And I said to him, we're not going to shut down because you know what? We as hope for justice, we don't give in to fear. For God did not give it a spirit of fear. We're going to open up a new office. We're going to set out a new rescue plan. We're going to keep on going because we're hope for justice. And we believe that freedom is worth the fight. We believe that justice is non-negotiable. And we refuse to abandon the least, the last, and the lost. We're going to start a new office. In fact, we started that new office, the Emma's Hub. And a year after that, 110 people walked free. As I was just about to stop cycling, I, I stopped in Germany and... I was gliding through and my, my mate Tommy saw me. And he said, Ben, what are you doing? I said, I'm giving up, I'm done. I can't carry it anymore. He said, Ben, what are you doing? I said, I'm done, Tom. You might be saying that today. And Tommy starts speaking to me. He says, Ben, have you seen the town that we're cycling through? I said, I can't see it. I'm not doing it, mate. He said, look up. Look up at the town that we're cycling through, Ben. And I look up and I'm bleared eyes and I see this sign. He says, Ben, 
It's our turn. It's our time and our turn. Don't you dare forget who you're cycling for. Don't you dare forget that you are cycling for the Emmas, for the Zoes, for the Maddies that are yet to be free. Maybe I've come here today to you to say this. You are stronger than you think you are. That you you aren't meant to do it alone, but it is your time and your turn. There's a great purpose that is designed for you. That you aren't just to be a pew warmer, a seat warmer, but the best days of your life are ahead of you. Oh, I know it's difficult, but I love the words of Martin Luther King that says this, we have some difficult days ahead, my friend, but I want you to know tonight we will reach the promised land. You know, when people say over your dream, it's impossible. When they say what we're trying to do is impossible. Muhammad Ali says these words, impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world that they've been given rather to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Impossible is a dare. And I'm here to dare you to get off under that tree and say, that's it. I'm going to start thinking differently. I'm going to surround myself, become part of a home group. And you know what? I'm going to get involved and get involved with the God-given purpose of my life. I'm going to get my hands rolled up. I'm going to keep on cycling because it is my time and my turn. I've got one more video if you don't mind. I'm sorry. I think I've run over, but I know that I can see that the sugar rush has already started. Some people are crying about that. Can we get some donuts out just to help them just for a few more minutes? I want to just play a video of one of the girls that we were able to help because of, um, because of people like you praying with us, believing with us. And I hope it blesses your life if you want to watch the screens. And then I'm literally two minutes and I'll be done. Don't have that video. (laughs) So there you go. Did you enjoy it? (laughs) Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Well, uh, maybe you might have to invite me back one one time uh, just to play that video. But if you wanted to find out more, if you wanted to support our ministry, you can do that at the back. If you get one of these forms, Guardian forms, and you can, you'll get a free book today of some of the stories that we've been able to transform together uh, with that. So it's a Guardian form and you get a free book of Impossible as a Dare. I'm going to end up in a prayer just for, if, if we can get the worship team up. We believe in prayer. In fact, um, we have a, a prayer conference at the end of March. If you wanted to join with us, we've got Natalie Grant, who's a, a Grammy-nominated uh, worship artist across the world. If you wanted to pray into some of the live cases that we are encountering right now, some of the challenges, uh, our team, just one of them, just so that you can pray, our team of, in Poipet in Cambodia are receiving death threats at the moment for uh, our help of child trafficking victims. We face the great darkness of this world, but we represent the light of all humanity. His name is Jesus. If today you are sat under that tree, Maybe I could just pray right now if you wouldn't mind and then.
God, I thank you that you say throughout the word of God many times, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. God, in the deepest recesses of our minds, sometimes our battles seem overwhelming. The thoughts that come to us are invading, destroying. But God, I pray today will be a a line in the sand moment that we would rehearse your thoughts over our life and that we would indeed think like you think and that we would amplify that we are fearfully and wonderfully made beautiful, cherished loved able and God I pray for my brothers and sisters that have isolated themselves, I pray that they would find people like Gav and Jim that put their hands on their shoulders and and help them up this, this challenge, this mountain I pray against that lie that says, just do it on your own. Lord, I pray for those that have stopped cycling and have forgotten why they are here. God, I pray that you would remind them of their why behind the what. And God, together as the church, I don't just mean now Southwest Vineyard. I I don't just mean Vineyard. I mean the church. I pray that we would unite like never before and that we would be a beacon of hope in the darkness, that we would speak life, liberty and hope and that we would would see lives transformed like never before. I pray that we would be those violent men and women that advance your kingdom like never before because of an understanding that for God so loved the world and that we would go out and we would see governments, businesses, society transformed, that we would take that impossible dare and that we would build your kingdom of love, liberty and freedom. We ask it in Jesus' name. With the eternal truth that never will you leave us or never will you forsake us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.